good morning. Hope you guys are doing well. Why don't you grab a Bible and let's go back to James chapter 3. We'll be finishing this up in just a, I don't know, we'll finish it up eventually. We're going to be in the middle part of James, James towards the end of the Bible. Just keep flipping until you see it. James chapter 3, if you don't own a Bible, we have some paperback Bibles out in the lobby. It'll be our gift to you. As I have said about James, uh, James has been kind of become not really an x-ray that kind of shows the break, but it goes beyond the x-ray. James is sort of an MRI where it takes you through like the very detailed uh, point of the issue. And if you came into this uh, series where we're going through the book of James thinking, oh, this is going to be just so practical and so helpful for me, while yes, that is incredibly true, then you have been mistaken also because what James does is he takes his finger and puts it on the pain point of our life and he does not relent. And he's not going to relent in this portion of scripture in James chapter 3. So I'm going to pick it up in verse 13 just just a few verses, just a few verses uh, for you to close out this chapter. And then if you've, you've already skipped ahead, you know there's only just two more chapters that will not take incredibly long to go through. James chapter 3, verse 13 here, the word of God this morning. Who is wise in understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of his wisdom. Now, just just a second here, and let me pause. Like I said, it, James doesn't just say, as he has previously talked about, that faith without, without works is dead, or tame your tongue and just kind of leave you left to fumble the, your way through the rest of life. He keeps on pressing with this idea of wisdom, that if anybody says they have wisdom, and yet they're not living this out, you are, in Matthew's terms, a moron, Okay. But the wise person is going to live his life out of that wisdom. Let me continue before I get ahead of myself. But if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. One more time, let's just go before the Lord and pray over the reading of God's word. God, just once again, we are so grateful for just an opportunity to come in this uh, gathering space with God's people, rejoicing in who you are and what you have done for us, Lord. And as we go into your word, Lord, let it, let it sharpen our hearts and sharpen our minds, Lord, so that we may see clearly who you are and see clearly what your word has for us, Lord, that we all may collectively be able to say as we leave this room, look how glorious Christ the king is. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now this text that we just read, these simple, just f five verses that we just went through is, is pretty simple. And it's, and it's about two things. It's about false wisdom and true wisdom. All right. Fairly easy. This is what false wisdom is. 
This is what true wisdom is. So there is this idea that there is a way that seems right to some of us, but what James would press you on is that it is not founded on the word of God, then you are living a life in earthly, in false wisdom. It's folly, as Proverbs would talk about. So you have two ideas, false wisdom and true wisdom. I don't think anybody would argue with that, but this is what we are dealing with this morning. Now, we could all collectively agree that in our culture, in our climate that we live in, in society, that we could all use some godly wisdom. Amen? I mean, you just think about what's ahead in just 2024 on kind of an air level that, that you know, we have, we have a huge political thing going on in the country. And then you just think maybe not even, maybe you're just don't even care about that kind of stuff. Maybe you have your own things going on in your life. Maybe it's, you know, a big decision after high school or college or a big job decision or maybe, you know, a big move decision or relationship decision that we could all collectively agree in some degree or another that we need godly wisdom. All right. And this isn't just for 24. We need wisdom now from the heavens from the Lord. And so I, I want to make, before I just kind of dive into this uh, text, I want to make two theological points, if I may. Um, and these, these shouldn't be new to, to you, but if they are, then I'll, I'll spend some time digressing a little bit uh, on those. That before we could talk about wisdom and true wisdom and false wisdom, I want to talk about these two ideas real quick. There's an idea that the Bible would present to us and the first idea is this, that God is for himself, all right? Easy, all right? Most of us will go, well, yeah, of course, I'll agree to that. I'll, I'll unpack why some of us are, are not really in agreement with that in just a moment. So the first idea, God is for himself. And then there's, there's another idea in from that and from wisdom, when we think about wisdom, that God would present to us in the scripture that there is a divine design for life. In, in other words, there is a way to live our life that God has laid out before us. And for some of us, we're going to pick two patterns in that. That we're either going to follow that design of life. And, and, and when we follow that design of life, we're going to find flourishment. We're going to find that my fulfillment has been met because I'm following in the way of God. So it's an understanding that God has a divine design way for life. And then there's the opposite of that, which I would, I would digress on, which is a false wisdom, which would say, I will live my life how I want to. But before I get any further than I already have, let's talk about this for a second, that God is for himself. All right, so here's, here's what I mean by that, Okay. And, and if you've come to church looking for encouragement, uh, it's not going to come in the forefront. It may come splattered in in the end. But, but here's, here's what this means, that you are not the point of your story. Oh, okay? And, and I know some of you are like, well, you don't know me. Now, of course, of course, there aren't going to be people that, that it's going to like wave a banner that says, you know what? I am the point of the story. I am the point of my life. Everything revolves around me. Of course, we're not going to verbalize that because who wants to look like the narcissistic moron? Like you're not going to have friends, but you will live your life like that. So that any time that you get in a car with me, that any time somebody pulls out in front of me, I'm going to go off on them. Like, you moron, you don't know who you just pulled out in front of. 
Now, be it, they are likely a moron and just don't know how to drive. But the problem is, and, and this is true of myself, I have made me the central point of the story. All right, maybe that's a bit of extreme, and maybe you're the calm driver, but I am not the calm driver. It's called sanctification. I'll get there one day. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it works itself out for some of you who are just like, you know what? I have all these expectations in my marriage. I have all these expectations in my, my relationships and my job. And, and then you get completely frustrated when those expectations are not met. You know what you've done? You have verbalized in a sense that you are the point of the story. And God is just in the back seat of your story. Now, of course, culture is going to feed itself into this idea, right? I mean, what's, what's the mantra of our society? What's the mantra? You do you. And if we were in the South, it'd be you do you, boo. Okay? Why? Because everything's about your happiness. Everything is about your uh, just you. You live your own truth. You live your own life. You are an autonomous human being. You have your own free will. You do whatever you want to do. And then, and then like if we're believers, we've bought into this idea. God is not the central part of the story, that we are the central part of the story. So then what we do with God, so what do we do with God? If he's not the point of everything, well, he's just kind of this, this backseat uh, butler for us, right? So God is here to serve me, and God is about my happiness. So I want, I want to be blessed, like I just want to live this life, and, and so I can make God look good. As if God is up in the heavens going, how can I make Matthew look good so that in turn he can make me look good? Because you know my PR press right now isn't really good, and so I need a people who will make me look good. And so we, we do these things. We're like, God lives for me. God is going to give me all these blessings. God wants me happy. And we paint it in the name of Christianity. But the Bible would be at odds with this type of thinking. That you are the central part of the story. The Bible would be odds with this. Because what the Bible would say is that God is for his own glory. All right? Now, I know that jostles some of you. He's like, well, well, God is for me. Well, yeah, God is for you, but it's not for you as the point of the story. The ultimate end would be that he gets the glory for any good that you do that he does in your life. So, so it's the Bible would teach and the Bible would present to us this theological idea that God is for himself. Now, I could take us through dozens, through hundreds of scriptures, but I'll just take you through one in Psalm 23. Very familiar passage. Now, before I read to you Psalm 23, uh, C.S. Lewis said before his conversion, when, when he read through, the, now he was an agnostic atheist, whatever he was, uh, before he had, he had such a, a problem with, you know, how could God cause uh, war? And this was around the World War era. Uh, his, he lost his mother and, and he's like, how could God cause all this trouble? And so as a non-convert, as a non-believer, he read through the Psalms. And, and he said, when I read through the Psalms, it seemed like God was this megalomaniac type of person. Whereas me, 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 see to me, you know, bow before me, worship me, praise me. 
And he's like, and he's like, God just seemed like that God is this narcissistic being up there, just wanting everybody to fumble over themselves in worship. Just, just think about, and, and I don't mean uh, any offense to this, just think about, and, and of course nobody in this room is like this, like, like the old lady who is always wanting compliments. You didn't compliment my perm. Right, that's, that's what they'd be saying back down in the South. Like, I just got my perm and, and I got my hair colored. You didn't, you didn't say nothing about it. You know, you didn't say you like my, you didn't say you like my food I cooked you. You know, there's demanding, like, like, give me praise, give me worship, like adore what I have done for you. C.S. Lewis says that's, that seemed like that's what God was doing in the Psalms. Now, let me, let me point out one of these Psalms, if I can. Psalm 23, very familiar passage. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Now, at this point, it's like, mm, God, God, he's, he love, he's crazy about me. Like, if I read this and I'm like, man, he's, I am pretty like, you know, I hate to bump you off the center point, but it seems like I'm the center point of the story. But then the psalm continues, and he gives you the reason why he does all these things. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. For what reason? So that I can make Matthew look so good. I'm going to lead you out into green pastures, give you peace, give you all these things. For what reason? For his name's sake. Because ultimately, at the end of every blessing, the blessing isn't about you. It's about so that God can look good. God is for himself. Anything that happens to you for the good, for the blessings, for salvation, it is not so that you can look so good to others so that you can give God this new uh, PR that he's like so desperately we think he needs. Any good thing that comes to you is because of his glory so that in turn he gets the glory. Now after C.S. Lewis was converted, he had this realization that it wasn't likely that God was the old nanny demanding this praise of such. He writes in his reflections on the Psalms. I'd encourage you to read this. He says this, but the most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it, and I'm going to skip around a little bit on this quote, so when you go back and read the quote, you'll see a few things that I skipped because it's a rather long quote. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or the giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise, lovers praising their mistresses, reading, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment it is its appointed consummation. So what is it then that C.S. Lewis is saying here? And what is God 
doing when he demands that he gets all of the glory and honor. When he says, or when we say this theological idea that God is for himself, he is commanding our worship, is giving us what we need. And do you know what you desperately need today? To understand that life is not about you. What God is given to us in this theological idea that God is for himself is a better way to live and the way to live is for God's own glory. Now, because when we live our life for God, a life that is about him, a life that re- it leads to rejoicing in God, man, doesn't it, that, and and maybe it hasn't for you yet, but it frees up your soul in so many ways. because, Because then if life isn't about me, I have been called to serve and to show Christ to my, to my marriage. I've been called to serve my relationships. I've been called to serve those around me and to point everyone around me to the one who life is completely about. And, and if I'm honest with you, what if I, that has lowered so many expectations that you have about life. You're no longer the central part of the story. You are about the story of God's glory. So if God is about God, he's about himself. I've been freed up, no longer the point of the story. And thank God, some of you, some of us who are narcissists a little bit are going to have a struggle with that. And so then the other thing that we have to realize before we get into James, this is a long introduction, but you just have to hang with me, is that God has a way of life. Proverbs, just real quick, 832. Oh, now, oh, sons, listen to me. This is wisdom crying out. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instructions and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor for the Lord. But he who fails to find wisdom, find me, injures himself. All who hate me, wisdom, Love, death. Listen, God has not abandoned you and left you to fumble around and try to figure out how all of this life is supposed to work. He has a divine design written out from his word that there is a way that is right to live. And if you want to experience this true wisdom, then walk in the way of the Lord. Proverbs would later, or maybe it was before, go on and say there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to destruction. Isn't that kind of like what our culture is up against? Well, just live your own truth, live your own way, just live your authentic self Honey, when somebody tells you, live your authentic self, point back to the Ephesians 2 that says, in my sin, I am dead. That's my authentic self outside of Christ. Dead, sinful, in despair. So you want to live your authentic self in despair and sin and and in a spiritual state of deadness? No. No. That is the earthly wisdom. Now, 
There's a divine way to live. And what James is going to do, and I say all of that to say that these two ideas are going to lead us more into what true wisdom is or it will lead you further into your demise of what earthly wisdom looks like. And those two words are at odds with each other. Earthly wisdom, it's, it's, it's more like earthly folly or earthly foolishness. Back to James when he says about false wisdom. If you look back at verse number 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth. In other words, if God, if, if I am the point of the story and I'm going to live out my own truth then I promise you my life will be marked by bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, because I'm all up in my own affections. If I'm the point of the story, then I have all of these selfish ambitions and I'm going to be a jealous person. So if you walk in the false wisdom, you reject God is for God and you think that you're the point. And you have a life that is going to be revolving around jealousy, selfish ambition, and enmity expectations. And then, like, look what he just says uh, right here. And then, do not. So, so if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to truth. Look at this: boasting and lying. So, a marked a life that is marked by I'm the point of the story. That, that, that I have a way of life will also be marked by boasting and lying. You reject the way of true life. You reject the way of wisdom. You will grow in more boasting and you will grow to be a liar. You will boast and lie. Because, why? Because your life will be about boasting because that's what people do when they're the central part of the story. Look how glorious my life is. Now, I don't have to tell you to go on social media to prove my point because you're all intelligent people. You don't have to listen to me, but listen to me. You go on social media, and I've been pastoring and been doing this for quite some time. Folks be coming up to me like, oh, my life is falling apart. You know, I'm about to lose my dog, about to lose my children, about to lose my wife. My finances are in trouble. I just lost my job. But then I go, and I find them on social media, which I shouldn't have ever done. And you would have thought that they're like living this celebrity lifestyle. I'm like, wait a minute. You just told me your husband slapped you. You're just telling me, and that's a little bit of hyperbolicism, right? And then, like, what you're just telling, look how life, my, miserable my life is. I need help. What am I supposed to be doing? And you log on to social media, and your life is all like beautiful rainbows. And you're, you're, you know, you're, you're a guy, and you're posting your shirtless photos of your six-pack abs. And you're like, wait a minute, that's not the dude I just saw. You just Photoshopped yourself. Why? Because life is about you. And so you're going to spend your time boasting about how good your life. Meanwhile, your life is crashing because the person who is living their life for themselves would never admit 
to the public or to anyone around them that my life is failing. You know why? Because they're living in false wisdom. Folly. Living a life of lying. And for some of us, we're like, well, you know, it doesn't really apply to me. You know, you're just, you're already up there boasting. I'm not going to showcase how glorious my life is. You know, I'm going to show the, the true. Well, well here, here again, and I'm telling you, this is James, right? It's the, this is the MO of Pastor James. So don't come to me with your disgruntledness about this message. You can go call James. FYI, he's dead. You can go take it up with him. Because here's what he's going to say. For some of us, and you feel like, you know, because I read this, I'm like, you know what? Most of the time I don't make life about me. You know, I'm, I'm doing, and you look at this, you're like, I think I'm batting at least a 900 at this. James is about to take his finger and put it on the pain point of your life. Because he's about to tell, he's about to reveal the rest of us in the room. And reveal to us, if you are living in false wisdom, by saying it is also earthly. Isn't that what he says in 15? Also, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but earthly. 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 We're living our life for the here and the now. My finances are for the here and for the now. I want to live everything so I can consume everything I can in the here and now without taking into any consideration about what eternity is. We have no consideration about eternity. We, we spend our lives, we spend our uh, everything, our our gifts are for the now. Our, how can I make me look better? You know, how can I spend money that, that satisfies me? Because, right, God wants me happy. And so, of course, God would really want me to go into an insurmountable amount of debt. This mantra leads to debt. It leads to, I'm living my life for the here. I'm living my life in the temporal. And so I'm going to do whatever I can do to satisfy my cravings now. That's the root cause of debt. Live for the moment. Live for the now. Instead of living for eternity. I mean, seriously, have you ever thought about this? Like in 10,000 years, do you think seriously up in the heavens... You know, when you were gloriously with Jesus, you're going to be like, man, I really regret not buying that $300,000 RV van. No. Why? I mean, you're, you have everything you ever need with Christ. It's, it's, it's madness. It's not only madness, but when we live our life in this false wisdom, I'm about to ease up, all right? So just calm down, all right? When we're living this life of this folly, earthly living, look what James says it is. It's unspiritual, and for some of us Baptists get a little uncomfortable, it's demonic. When I'm living for myself, what does James say? When I'm living in my own understanding of wisdom, living my own truth, living my own way, vying into the culture of you do you, what does James says you're doing? You are living in a demonic way of life. And why is that demonic? 
What do demons, like think about the, the message of Satan, this antichrist message. It is lie, lie, lie. It is to oppress, oppress, oppress. And it is to blur what is truth. It is to give you 99% of truth and hide the 1%. And James says, if you live your life like this, it's unspiritual and demonic. Now, that's folly. That's false wisdom, all right? Look what true wisdom is. True wisdom, but the wisdom, verse 17, is from above. It's first pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle. Another word for gentleness is meek, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a great harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. False wisdom rooted in earthliness, rooted in the demonic, the here and the now, but true wisdom rooted in a life that produces peace, that is gentle. It is the eternal way of looking at things. That's the true wisdom that James counters it with. It is this idea that, you know, one day we're all going to stand before the Lord. Yeah, I know, like, 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 we don't want to really think about when that day is. It could be today for some of you. It could be, like, next week. It could be 10 years, 20 years, 30 years down the road. I don't know. You don't know when that day is. But one day you'll be standing before him, and you'll be given an account. How was I living my life for the here and now? Now, thankfully... The righteousness of Christ will be imputed upon, has been imputed upon you because of those who are believers in him, right? It is this idea of positional righteousness, right? For anybody who believes in Christ Jesus, you have been blanketed by what Christ has done. So the Father doesn't see you, you're bad, you're good, whatever. He sees Christ. But notice what he says right here when he says you will grow in righteousness. And I love this. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Listen, it's this idea not of just the righteousness that's been imputed upon you because of Christ. It is this continual righteousness that God is growing you into. In other words, here's the gospel, by the way. In other words, God loves you too much to just, and, and, and you got to wrestle with this, right? To, to save you and just leave you there. Hope you figure it out. Hope you stumble your way through life. No, he loves us too much to do that. What does he do? He brings us into a harvest of righteousness we, we have this fancy word that we call this. This is the process of sanctification. Not that you are doing this, but the Holy Spirit inside of you is growing you more into the likeness of Christ. Now, here's the question that we have to wrestle with, and I'm done. How do we um, grow in true wisdom, and then how do we spot out the false wisdom inside of all of us? That's the question you got to wrestle yourself with. How do we grow in true wisdom? And then how can we spot false wisdom inside of us? How do you grow in true wisdom? 
The first one is obvious, all right? It is knowing God. I'm not talking about your version. I'm talking about knowing the God of the Bible. It is a complete understanding. How can I grow in true wisdom? I have to grow in my understanding of the God of the Bible. I, I have to understand and grow in who God is and understand that the commands that he has for me, all of the don't do this and do this, is not because he is mean. It is because it is for my good. I have to grow in my understanding of who God is. Is If he is the God who says, this is the way to live, then we want to see that as an invitation for our joy. How do I grow in true wisdom? How do I grow in true wisdom? That's the question. Then, then I also grow in my understanding of the word of God, right? This was, if you, you remember back last week that the word of God breathes life to us. It's the reason why I'm going to preach out of the Bible for you. This is the only way I know how to do this is to open up the word of God and go through this line by line and see, God, where do you want for us? How can I see myself in this? And how can I see my savior in this? I want to grow in the word of God the truth of God, the way of God, and that's found and revealed in the word of God. God is revealed in the word of God. That's why we want to have a deeper growth, a deeper understanding of the word of God. Well, we don't need to speak the truth to people all the time. We don't need to tell them about Bible, Bible, Bible. You know how ridiculous that sounds? Then, then what's the alternative Earthly stuff? Where did we just say that leads you to? Grow into our understanding of the word of God. And then lastly, I think another, I could probably like point out like 10 more things that we can do that helps us grow in this true wisdom that James is pointing out. But who is James writing to? Is he writing to an individual? He's writing to a church a community, a body of believers, how can we grow in wisdom if we have isolated ourselves and thought, well, you know what, that, those church people, they're just a little too crazy for me. I'm going to live my life how I want to live it. You want to grow in wisdom? Grow in community with God's church. I don't know whether that is a small group or, you know, whatever the challenge is for you, but it's certainly just not coming here and just checking it off your to-do list and say, look, I, you know, I attend a church and look how, look how good I am. And, you know, I just got my feel in for the week. If this is your feel for the week, then I pity you. I feel sorry for you deeply. It's not a call just to attend. It's not a call just to say, I, I went and so look how good I am. It's a call to belong. I, I mean, just think about your physical family 
And in terms of, now that may have some weight to it, and, and if it does, let's erase what I just said. But just think about what a, what a good family offers to each other, accountability. You are vulnerable with each other. It is this idea where you're still learning and you're being discipled, and yet you're still doing like the nasty parts of life, the dirty parts. That's church. That's what Christ has called us into Hanging out with Christians that make you feel uncomfortable. I mean, how's that for an idea? I mean, that just that's pressing for some of us. Because we don't want anybody to make us uncomfortable. How dare, how dare they you know, call me out of my sin like that? I tell you what, you're just an idiot, you know? And so then we're going to bring out the laundry list of their wrongs. You've made again the point about you. God is calling all of us into deeper community where we don't just come here, where we belong together. I go back to how we started, and we're going to about to break communion together, and, and then we'll be, we'll be out of here. But I go back how we started. Can we not all agree that we need godly wisdom? I mean, we need this in our government. We need this in our local government. We need this in our education. We need this in our families, in our communities. We need godly wisdom. And here's what we don't need more of. And, and you may be pressing me on this. And, and I know I have teachers in the room that may like, be like, oh, gee, thanks. What we don't need more of is more education. Because if education was the solution then, then we wouldn't have a problem with people picking up cigarettes. Now, listen, I know some of you may smoke cigarettes. I'm not judging you. In fact, you could puff that junk in my face and be like, well, I'm back in West Point, Georgia, because that's what happened in West Point, Georgia. You come out of the Kroger, and somebody just blow it in your face. I'm not hating on you if that's you. But all the amount of education that's been poured, and, and you just fill in the blank whether, you know, that's, that's uh, some type of STD or, or whatever. You fill in the blank, and you see that it's not education that we need more of. Because if it were education that we needed more of, then all of the problems of life would be resolved. What do we need? God, give me true wisdom. So that I'm not just saying I have all this information and bottling it in, but I am living this out. That's God give us wisdom and to live that wisdom out.